And now, live from Atlanta, Georgia, everyone's social media friend, it's Deb Creer. Every week, Deb talks with the movers and shakers, the experts, the best of the best in social media, bringing you all of the latest tips, techniques, and trends for successfully using social media. In social media, there's only one constant, Deb Creer. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer. I'm the socialite, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. And, you know, as it seems to be more often than not anymore, we're not really going to talk about social media. I'm sure we might get it brought back in a little bit. But my guest today is someone who I've only met on social media, and that's one of the big powers of Facebook, of LinkedIn, of all of the, the various platforms, is we get to expand our connections and meet people that we never would have met before any of these tools existed. So please join me in welcoming the fabulous Liz Strauss to today's program. Hi there. Well, you know, for, for folks who don't know, you know, I, and actually, let me let me preface this before I give your bio. We are friends on Facebook, and I saw that you had just published a new book, and it sounded very interesting to me. I bought it, and I thought, oh, holy cow, I have to interview Liz. So, you know, that was that was how this all came about. Excellent. I, I love meeting people that way. You know, and it, it really does work out so nice. And and I think that's one of the things that people forget when we're on social media is you never really know who you're connected to because it could easily be something where, you know, you just think we're just Facebook friends and then you discover this great little nugget of information about them like they are an author. And, you know, and, and so then you get to really expand this relationship, which is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've met many, many people that way. Uh, one of the quickest ways to uh, expand your relationships is to use Twitter. Right. And, um, when you retweet someone's work, they immediately take an interest in who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that can often start up a relationship. I've met many people that way. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it does make it a, a great tool and, and it is a, a fabulous way to, to expand connections. And find people of like mind. Yes, yes. Or sometimes find people that you think, hmm, maybe not so much. Well, you know, in the, in the early days, before there were Twitter, um, you know, when there were just blogs, I mm-hmm. used to say to people that um, it's a great sorting mechanism, and, and it still is somewhat true, that if you came to my blog, you could decide whether you liked me or didn't like me in about 30 seconds and right. then you would leave and mm-hmm. I would have no hurt feelings and mm-hmm. you would have no embarrassment, which is a whole lot more fun than, you know, at the wine and cheese table when you say hello to somebody and you might still decide in 30 seconds you don't want to talk to me, but it's socially um, not nice to just walk away Right. And have to keep up the conversation and find an excuse to leave. Mm-hmm. So it, it's uh, meeting people online, especially people who think like you do, is a lot more efficient is what I used to say. Right. Right. Well, well and if someone unfollows you or unfriends you or whatever, 
it's not the end of the world, folks. You know, it just means that for whatever reason, they weren't interested. Um, you know, I, I know people who they really keep track of that and or they keep track of who uh, unsubscribes from their newsletters and sometimes they're crushed. Well, you know, it, it just means that at that point in time, it wasn't resonating and maybe it will someday in the future, but I'll you know, get over it. Well, yeah. And in fact, it may may still have been resonating, but they had a family emergency or, or right. other thing. I, I, I often think it, at times like those, I, I often share that story of a, um, when I was, was working in publishing and, and one of the senior editors who reported to me, she'd been in the business for at least 10 years, mm -hmm. came into my office and sat down and said, oh my gosh, I think Roy is mad at me. Well, Roy happened to be the president of the company uh -huh. A company of, a, at that time, about 200 employees. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, really, why? And she said, well, every day when he goes to get his coffee, he talks to me. But today he didn't. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, do you think maybe he could have come out of a big budget meeting or um, just had to say some bad news to his boss or you know, there are lots of reasons that Roy might not have talked to you. And and I want to be kind, but I don't think Roy was thinking badly of you. I don't think Roy was thinking of you at all. Right, right. You know? and, and, we, and that's what happened. We have those stories and those conversations in our brain. And, and it takes us in a totally different and in many cases wrong direction. Well, yeah. And, that, and the point being that more often than not, um, if you think it's about you, it's not. Right. I mean, and I have a saying, you know, uh, whenever I think the universe revolves around me, the solar system flies wildly out of balance. But, mm -hmm. You know, more often than not, when I think the issue is about me, it's it's not. And right. When I start to get those anxious feelings, I try to remember that. Mm-hmm. Well, and in a lot of ways, that's the premise of the, the book that you have written. And so let me tell folks a little bit about you, and then we'll just jump right into talking about the book, because it was very fascinating, and, and I loved it, and I'm definitely going to have to reread it. It's, it's one of those type of books. But Liz Strauss is a principal and CEO of Genius Shared, an organization dedicated to promoting achievement in the business community through understanding of how personal development fuels, defines, and limits or amplifies success. She is also founder of Sobcon, Sobcon, the game-changing business retreat that energized businesses' growth and owner-author of the popular Successful Blog, which is at Successful-Blog.com. Liz is an engaging, intelligent, and profoundly relevant author, speaker, retreat producer, and business coach. She is adept at distilling complex and seemingly disconnected human business ideas into elegantly simple concepts and helping leaders apply those concepts to the best steps to meet their goals. Liz speaks softly and carries a lot of street cred. The Dean of the College of Education at Bradley University described Liz by saying, in my life, I've met five master teachers. She is one. Liz has worked with C-suite executives on four continents on planning strategy and accelerating business growth through better hiring, breaking down silos, team training, and coaching new managers. Liz builds communities of fiercely loyal employees and customers who bring their friends. 
Liz lives in Chicago with her husband and a world of ideas and stories inside her head. In between trips to see every country in the world, their son stops in for visits to check on the stuffed penguin on the bookcase. The book that Liz recently wrote is called Anything You Put Your Mind To, and that's what we're here to discuss. So again, you know, we, we digress to start with, but again, Liz, welcome. Well, I'm really glad to be here, Deb. You know, and, and this book really is fascinating, it, and it was not what I was expecting, and, and this is not a good thing, because I was thinking it was going to be um, more... Uh, specific tips you know any a book called anything you put your mind to seems like it might be kind of dry you know this is how you do this and this is how you do that and it was far from that it's uh you know several people have described it as a parable it's a story and and it was that was what was fascinating i do admit that i got a little lost every once in a while which is why i need to reread it because a good portion of the book takes place actually in the mind of the heroine who is, is named Alice in the book. Um, true enough, true enough. And, and you know, your, your point is not lost on me. We had uh, a hard time coming up with the title for this book. Right. Um, only because every title um, uh, ran one extreme or the other. Mm-hmm. The original title, uh, the working title of the book was Larry and the Dog. Uh-huh. Right. Of course, we couldn't name it that because the minute you try and type that into Google, you're going to get a picture, lots of pictures of guys in pickup trucks with their mm-hmm. nine next to them. At uh, which point, my son at one time said, well, you should follow the Kubrick, you know, clockwork orange algorithm and, and name the book Canine Indigo. <laughs> and of course, that wouldn't work either. But then you know, it was like most people would expect me to be writing a business book, which made it even harder. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another title that I came up with at one point was thinking about not thinking because mm-hmm. it's so much in the in the callback humor of the book. And um, as my son said, you know, I, I think that's a book on productivity. And right. So there was no title that was going to uh, name this book. It's hard enough to even say uh, what kind of book it is? Mm-hmm, it is, uh, but we did kind of capture it in the in the subtitle: an adventure in remembering we decide the stories that decide our lives. Right. You know, and and it, it was it really was fascinating to me to to read through because you know it, it's it's a story about this woman named Alice who is pondering some life changes and, and, you know, or maybe, you know, a better way to put it is she's trying to decide what she wants to do next, or maybe you know, how to grow up, things like that. And, and she has all these conversations with people and, and fascinating trips and activities in her mind. And, you know, as I was reading it, I thought we do that. We do that all the time where, Unfortunately, many of those conversations, and, and I mentioned, you know, we were talking about this at the start, many of those conversations end up being negative conversations. You can't do that. Why would you want to do that? We've got all those little negative Nelly voices that are, are telling us, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And and your book was showing the conversations that are positive and how to, you know, in many cases decide, you know, we need to make some changes. Well, yeah, I'm- you know, in, in, in the 
years I've spent uh, coaching people, I think that the the more I talk, the more I find that that where I become most useful is is to be sort of that person inside their head who's telling mm-hmm. them, no, no, you're not you're not showing off. You're you're not um, trying to be bigger than your britches, so to speak. Uh, you're fine on that. Or wait a minute, who do you think you're fooling? Right. And the trouble is that I, I have a saying, you can't see the product and be the product. Mm. Um, when you're trying to, you know, it's really easy to help someone else get on with their life. But when you're trying to get on with your own life, sorting through when you might just be fooling yourself is kind of hard to do. Mm-hmm. And and so if you if you as you go through the book you you have Alice and then you have Larry and then you have the dog and I I sort of think of Alice as the person who's trying to muddle through mm-hmm. and Larry is kind of the person who helps her sort um, you know asks her questions along the way you know um, well why would you want to do that like one of my favorite scenes is. Um, well, how do you feel about going into work tomorrow? And and she, she says something like, I feel like I'm a target. Mm-hmm. And and he says, well, then don't be surprised if people start shooting at you. Right. Yeah. You, you've made yourself that target. Yeah, if you think of yourself as a target, people will start shooting at you. Meanwhile, there's the dog who's sort of like the conscience, you know, um, okay, who do you think you're fooling? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, pull it on back. But we usually know when we're fooling ourselves. We're not quite sure about when um, when when we've got it right. You know, mm-hmm. we're a little afraid to think we have it right. It's it's much easier to stay seated than to stand up and say, "Oh yeah, I know this one." Right, and and to own it. You know, I think a lot of times we we blame things on somebody else. We, you know, we don't have a job we, you know, that we love, but that's because, you know, because, you know, I'm not given the opportunity for promotions or my boss hates me or all of those various things. And, and we don't own that. You know what? I have a big role in that. Exactly. Exactly. I once spoke to a guy um, and and I remember the year um, because he had talked to me for about a half hour and I said, you know, you must have been successful at some point in your life, you know, and he said, oh, yeah, I was. And I said, when was that? And he said, September 11th. And I went, September 11th, that was seven years ago. You, know, mm-hmm. you realize in the last half hour, you blamed a hiring freeze, your neighborhood, the fact that you didn't go to a top tier college. And there were two other reasons five things you brought up about why you don't have a great job and, and not mm-hmm. one of them happened to do with you. Right. You know, and um, yeah, some of us do that a little more than is, is healthy for getting forward with life. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's kind of start at the beginning. Why did you decide to write the book? Because you wrote it several years before it was actually published. So why did you decide that this was something that, that needed to, to be written? Um, I was actually uh, in a in a job where I I wasn't terrifically happy and um, and I didn't have enough to do. But primarily, um, uh, much like Alice in the book, I 
I my life had become all about work, so I didn't know what to do when I had time to do something else. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started writing this book partially because I had a joke with my husband about going jogging in the morning. You know, it's like, are you going jogging today, honey? Oh no, I already went. Um, and so I started writing this as a, as a story to keep myself entertained. Mm -hmm. Very quickly, um, the characters started telling me where to go with the book. Um, and uh, it was an amazing adventure. But I guess that my biggest purpose was to sort of lay down uh, my philosophy of life and, and have a best friend in a book. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I'll admit, as I was reading the book, I was thinking how much of Alice is really Liz? Um, yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot. <clears throat> and, um, um, actually, I, I, I actually thought, well, Alice is Liz, and mm -hmm. Larry was someone else, and the dog was someone else. <clears throat> Even though the dog doesn't speak, the dog definitely has a presence. Right. A very large presence in the book. Yeah. And, and in fact, um, it wasn't until, um, uh, Five years later, in a conversation with my then business partner, that, that the book came up in conversation, and I brought it out and read it again, um, that I realized that, no, it wasn't so, that that Alice is Liz, but Larry is Liz, and so is the dog. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, how silly. Of course they are. I wrote it. But I, at the time I was writing it, I didn't realize that. But at the time I read it, five years later... I was hearing myself in the book say, hearing Larry say things that I say to people all the time when I'm working. Mm -hmm. So um, it was sort of like, oh my God, Larry is me. How did I right. know this? You know, so we're all, they're all me, you know. I guess that's mm -hmm. true of any author and the characters they write. Right. Well, and in the story, Larry is, you know, and, and we don't want to give too much away because we do want people to buy the book. But he's, he's kind of the protagonist. You know, sometimes he's very supportive of Alice. Sometimes he, he's pointing out some of the obvious things that Alice misses. But he is, he, she is having the conversation in her mind with him. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it is that, that he is part of her. And same with the dog. You know, they, all of these conversations and, and, you know, much of the activity in the book takes place simply in Alice's mind. Right, yeah, and she has no idea when she meets them in her head who they are, where they came from, and why they know so much about her. Right. You know, one of the, the things that, you know, and, and so she deliberately, once she figures this out, she deliberately seeks them out and, and has these conversations with them and these adventures. But one of the things that, that I wondered about, it, music was a very big part of her process. Why is that? You know, is, is music that important to you? Is that a, a very big uh, part of your life? Well, I, I think it kind of, uh, well, if the short answer is, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't live my life without music. I, mm -hmm. At three and a half years old, I was sitting in dance class, clapping my hands to the beat for six months before she would let us dance. So mm -hmm. I, I do feel music is like inherently in my blood. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's really kind of the balance rule kind of brings it all together. The, the whole idea of 
um, your left brain and your right brain and, and how much of us get stuck in our heads doing the working and talking kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And um, having been an, an editor, you know, working, a, a, having to write eight hours a day on demand, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's no such thing as writer's block when you're getting a paycheck. Right. Then I learned that uh, one of the ways to to make my life easier was to work in the garden or do something with beads or do anything that had to do with with music and our color. Mm-hmm. That would help. It wouldn't. It would take me at the end of a really worn out work day and refuel me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so. You know, early on in the book, the balance rule comes up, you know. Uh, uh, the, the... Right. I, I, I actually just opened to that page um, because I, I bookmarked this. You know, I, I read this right. as the E version and I bookmarked this. And so the balance rule is be curious about everything. Don't overthink anything. Take an equal dose of color for every word you see, hear, or say. Find space and perspective through music and in nature. Try to think more about less. I, to me, that was that was just fascinating. One of the things I wondered you you, you talk in there about color. How how does color? You you know you say that an a equal dose of color for every word you say. How does that work? I mean that that is something that that I'm very curious about. Oh, I'm just talking about, you know, open your eyes and enjoy the nuance. And, you know, there's a reason I take pictures of the sunrise every day, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and and I, in like manner, uh, go outside whenever I'm feeling highly stressful. You know, I, I advise people to go, go look at the sky mm-hmm. um, because the colors of the sky are often changing and, and things like trees and or even the clothes people are wearing are filled with color and i think i think there's probably some sort of uh, physical response that occurs when we open our eyes and start looking at colors mm-hmm. we well, can't and when you look at the sky and think in words you know they mm-hmm. sort of are two sides of your brain so it's mm-hmm. a relax Right. It, it does. It, it puts you in a different frame of mind when you start focusing on that. And, and you know, maybe it's sitting and one of the things that, that I like to do is, is look at a fire and see all of the different colors and nuances that, that happens with that. I mean, I could sit by a campfire for hours or, you know, the ocean, all of those things. And, and your mind definitely shifts into a different place when you do that. And and I think that's especially important when someone is, you know, as, as we, you know, we, as you talk about in the book, overthinking something, you know, maybe your mind needs to go into neutral and go off on these flights of fancy with Larry and the dog, um, you know, or you, obviously it'd be your own characters in your own mind, but it, it's okay to do that and to stop focusing so much on just work. Uh, you know, and and how then that makes you so much more productive and happy in the long run. Oh, right. You come back energized and, and mm-hmm. ready to work at a much higher level, you know. Right. I mean, some people meditate, some people, you know, read poetry, whatever it is that 
puts your mind in a different place and then you're able to come back and focus better. Exactly. I mean, and, and, you know, the whole concept of thinking about thinking about not thinking, I mean, you know, I, in, the, in the book that she happens to mention all of the things that people do that are sort of like meditating, like playing golf. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're playing golf, uh, there's silence involved. There's there's walking involved, you know, gardening, getting your hands in the dirt, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Why do people do that? They do a lot of those things, I think, to, to make more space in their brain and to mm-hmm. more room to breathe. Um, when I wrote, I wrote my first blog post, and, and I had wanted to name my first blog Breathing Room, but I was long past the first one out of the gate on that title. Mm-hmm. So it ended up uh, being called Letting Me Be. But my very first blog post I wrote ever uh, is 150 words uh, called Breathing Room. And, mm-hmm. and the last part of it says, whenever I give my soul room to breathe, everyone around me get, gets nicer. Right. <clears throat> well, of course, it has nothing to do with them and everything to do with the fact that I gave myself room to breathe. Mm-hmm. And, and it is, it's sometimes about taking that step back and, and pausing, you know, and, and thinking, you know what, let's look at it from a different perspective. Exactly. Exactly. Which is, uh, as we were saying about social media, um, there were a couple of things early on in the world of, of social media that happened that sort of went across the blogosphere like wildfire and, and a friend of mine actually called me up and said, what are you going to do about this? And and I said, well, you know, I think there are probably only a couple of reasons that you would need to respond right away. One would be is if the house is on fire mm-hmm. and the other is if somebody's sick. Otherwise, you can take a half hour and think about it. For, right. You know, and um, <laughs> luckily, I mean, or, or sadly, when I was much younger and knew everything, I hadn't learned that yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it is about taking the time to, to reflect. And, and yes, there are times where you do have to respond immediately. But, you know, in, in the, the book, one of the things Alice is kind of wrestling with is her job. You know, is it something that, that she needs to, to stay at, to change, to do whatever? And, and she takes a step back to think about it and to, to really ponder, is this what I need to be doing right now? And, you know, and, and she could have just as easily looked at him and said, I quit, I quit, leave me alone, I quit. Well, yeah. But, you know, and, and, and she thought of doing that. But, of course, she thought, let's not throw everything away because maybe it is fixable. Yeah, well, and, uh, and, and were you rooting for her to do that? You know, I was. I was rooting for her to, to, to go in a different direction because not only was it that that she would have to change it was that others were going to have to change and and you know it's pretty easy to or it's not pretty easy we we can change ourselves but we can't usually change somebody else and you know the the way the story was was being written it was definitely that there were just some things that were probably not going to change or if they did it was just going to be temporary and so i i kind of figured you know she's going to end up on her own well you know you make a really good point about changing ourselves it's easier to change ourselves than to change someone else and you know the corollary to that is sort of the quickest way to change somebody else's behavior is to change your own right you know um 
because if if they get if if every time they do A, you do B, and suddenly one time they do A and you do F, mm-hmm. at the very least you're going to get their attention, you know? Right. And and so they'll be forced into at least pausing before they respond mm-hmm. the way they usually do. So. Right. That that I learned from being the younger sister of two big brothers. Ah, uh-huh. Well, and, and that's so true, whether it's in a relationship, you know, siblings, spouse, partner, you know, or, or employees and, and things like that. We fall into those patterns where, you know, A happens and we do B. And and then we expect A to happen, so we do B. Right. And you know all of those things, and 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 sometimes it, it maybe it, maybe they want to change A also, but they're thinking, well, that's how I'm supposed to be. That's what I'm supposed to say. That's what I'm supposed to do. And so it is good to to think, okay, let's do D, E, or F, and see what happens. Exactly. Exactly. You put that really well. I can't add a thing to it. You know, and and. I think that was was part of what Larry was trying to to tell Alice in the book was, you know what, look at, maybe look at how people are perceiving things. You know, was that the right thing? And, and you know, or you mentioned it, you know, at the, at the start of the program with the employee who thought the boss was mad at her. Well, it, you know, it was all about her. And, you know, you're the younger sibling of, of two brothers. I'm an only. So, you know what, I really was brought up to believe that the world revolved around me. And, you know, but, but sometimes it is very wise to put ourselves in their position and to think, you know, what's going on with them? And it doesn't, you know, you don't have to stay there and you certainly don't want to get stuck there. But, you know, why, why was that boss not speaking, you know, and is there something that you could do to help? You know, maybe it was that he had this big project and was trying to, to think, oh my gosh, you know, how am I going to get through this? And simply saying, is there something I could do? would would do that. You know, one of the biggest things that I have really started trying to do myself is to say please and thank you and to smile at people. You know, sometimes you can tell it it you know, they might be having a horrible day and simply by smiling at them, you you might have changed how things are going to go for the rest of their day. Oh yeah, very much so. I mean, there's a there's a point in the book where where Alice sort of does that when she decides to walk down the street and imagine that every person she passes is someone that she knew from long ago. Right. Just don't remember. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've done that before and, and it makes, first of all, it puts you in a really good mood mm-hmm. to do that. Um, you know, I've started, I started up for a while, um, changing up the way when people say how are you changing up the way i answer and and avoiding the word fine or good mm-hmm. solely because it makes me think about it you know so that if i say you know well i don't know I, i'm better than i was yesterday suddenly i be, i'm thinking you know i really am better than i was right today mm-hmm. and it does set the tone of the day um, mm-hmm and saying thank you for asking, um, that sort of cheers me up as well. So, mm-hmm. so that, there's there's no act of generosity that doesn't go both ways, you know. Mm-hmm. The more the more you um, attend to others, uh, the more you feel the benefit of that. Um, even right. if they're not specifically sending it back to you, you still feel it yourself mm-hmm. um, because generosity feels good. 
Mm-hmm. Right. You know, maybe you said thank you and they still went, <laughs> that's okay. It, it, it's still not against you, you know, and, 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 and you tried. Yeah. Well, and, and as long, you know, it's, it's not about you, you know, it's not even uh, uh, about them really. Uh, it's just about making the world turn a little bit softer. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, it's funny, one of the characters that you talk about in the book is is kind of the opposite of that, and that's Needy Danielle. <laughs> and, you know, we all have the Needy Daniels or the, the, the Needy Dans in our life. Explain to us what that is and why that's not necessarily a good person to have in your life or how to deal with them if they are in your life. Oh, Needy Danielle. Needy Danielle, I've, I've known more than one, but one in particular. Um... Uh, so I, I once said something about needy Danielle online, and somebody thought I didn't want to be nice to the homeless. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with the with the traditional use of the word needy. It has to right. do with people who use their neediness to manipulate other people. Mm-hmm. You know, oh poor me, don't you need to take care of me? And and I've seen some people do it so so wonderfully such that uh, um, if you try and call Needy Danielle on how she's acting, you become a villain. Right. So so she ends up manipulating you even though you don't buy into it. Mm-hmm. But a Needy Danielle is someone who, um, I, I think I say it something like this, you know, Every time you meet her, you you sort of go, now, what was I thinking? She's a really interesting person. Mm-hmm. And as the conversation moves on, it's like, oh, I think I need a new boyfriend. And, well, have you gone out anywhere? No. You know, um, I need you to introduce me to a new boyfriend. I need you to do this for me. I need you to, to a point where... Um, Edie Danielle just needs, needs, needs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and sucks the life out of exactly, you. Exactly. Uh, uh, well put. And, and when it comes time to talk about what you might need, um, even if your need is far more serious or urgent, suddenly um, they have to go. Right. Or they swing it back to them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the well, well the, you know, it's, it's too bad you've been sick. I remember when, you know, yeah, had... um, I once had a needy Danielle in my life who offered to let me read her journal. Um, not that I asked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was like she wanted me to know more about how needy she was. Right. So, yeah. You know, and, and we all have those people in our lives, you know, and, and, and the, the key is to, to not really get sucked into it. You know, they they aren't really wanting you to help. In a lot of cases, they just want you to, to listen to them whine. Well, yeah, and in fact, you know, um, I think you bring up a good point because I don't think they even recognize uh, me from the guy next to me. From the right. Guy to me, it's just who's the closest person to give me some attention mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. It's not particularly my attention they need. And once I started to recognize the needy behavior, it almost became uh, fun because, you know, it'd be, hi, Danielle, how are you? And, and for me to see how, how quickly I could 
um, get her involved in, in right or something that would send her in another direction mm-hmm. without, of course, trying to, you know, send her off on to someone else, you know, because uh-huh. that just wouldn't be fair. Right. Danielle is sort of like a person version of a song that gets stuck in your head. Mm-hmm. Right. It, you, you still like the song, but you wish it wasn't stuck there. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it's funny because I see those people on Facebook. You, te- you don't tend to see them on, on other social media, but I see them on Facebook. They're the, the vague posters The you know, oh, please pray for me today. Things aren't going well. <laughs> and, and what they want is, the, oh, what's wrong? Oh, tell us what, what can we do? You know, they want you to purposely engage. They leave it so vague that you're going to ask. And I just ignore it. I'm like, you know what? If they wanted me to know, they would tell me. And I don't have time for this. Yeah, sorry to hear that. Yeah. And then you move on. Or or I click the little heart button so that way they know I'm thinking of them. But that's it. You know, I, I don't want to get sucked into that conversation. Exactly. You know, a good good uh, modus operandi, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I mean, certainly there are times where the, the, the needy Danielles, where we do need to pay attention to them. Because, you know, it, it could be that there is something that that is there that needs fixed you know we've we've all seen the people who you know they're just kind of they're having a problem day and and things and and you start reading enough into it to to realize we could have a problem here you know it, it could be that maybe you know to an extreme they might be ready to take their life or you know some things like that so you know we're not saying ignore the needy people but put it through a filter uh, yeah exactly i mean the the things that happen in patterns certainly you can recognize if there's a difference in the pattern. Mm-hmm. Frankly, if you're, uh, there, were, there was an incident not long ago where a friend came to me about another friend, a, a mutual friend, and, and said, you know, um, this person just took a, a photograph of a noose and put it Oh. In. And, and, um, and, and was asking me what what to do about it, and mm-hmm. and you know, I was of the opinion of, you know, you either call him on it, or you call someone. Right. Um, you're certainly not in a position to do much more than to say what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Not funny. Um, and if you think it's more serious than that, then you need to connect him to somebody who's way more professional than you are. Right. Right. And, you know, sometimes that might mean calling the police. Um, you know, I remember, and this, this was a story from several years ago, uh, the, the actress Demi Moore was, she's very active on Twitter, anyhow she was at that point. And, and she recognized from one of the, the people that she was, was tweeting with that the, the young woman was suicidal. And she managed to track down the police in the town where that young woman lived and they got to her in time, um, you know, and, and so, yeah, we're not saying ignore those folks, but, you know, the, the problem tends to be that they whine and they carry on so much that it's the boy who cried wolf. When there's, you know, we get to the point where we don't pay attention or it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, again. And then when there might truly be something serious, we don't pay attention. Exactly. And, and that's, that's the risk we all run. Both in, right. And in being needy. Right. You know, and, and, and it's, it is human nature to, to, in, to some degree be needy. You know, we, we need the support of others. We need the validation from others. 
And I think, you know, to, to get back to your book, part of what you're talking about in it is more than anything, we need the validation and things like that from ourself. And, and that's what needs to come up first, as opposed to needing that outward validation. Right. If, if you don't, if you don't value yourself, um, then, then who's going to value you? Mm -hmm. Really what it comes down to. Um, there, there was a point in my life where I, I had a conversation with myself and I, I probably do that more than most people do. And, uh, and it, it had to do with, uh, whether I belonged on the planet and mm. it suddenly dawned on me that the whole world wasn't going to hold a meeting to decide, you know, to vote on whether I belonged on the planet. Mm -hmm. well, it would take a lot of resources to pull that kind of meeting together, and I'm just not worth it, you know? Um, so if the whole world isn't going to decide if I belong here, you know, what's left? Yes, mm -hmm. I'm going to have to decide for myself. Right. And, um, and that started me, I mean, in the tagline to the book, the word decide is used twice. Mm -hmm. and, and I and that started me on on a real quest around the idea of deciding things, you know, and decide suicide, homicide. Mm -hmm. um, that you know, decide means to kill off all other options. And so once I killed off all other options that I would mm -hmm. on the planet, my life became a lot nicer place to be living. I was no longer confused. Mm -hmm. And and it is, and it was and is just that easy that we can decide for ourselves who we are and, and who we want to be based on what we value. Right. And, and sometimes it means making some big changes. You know, you're, you're not going to be the victim anymore. You're not going to be the, the employee that everybody dumps everything on and then they go off for lunch. You know, all of those various things, it, it's, it's the choice that we make. Right, right. In fact, um, you know, nature doesn't allow, uh, you know, in, in the natural world, in the animal kingdom, animals don't do things that aren't, self-preserving self-preservation mm -hmm. requires that they take care of themselves so when somebody starts complaining about they hate their awful apartment and they can't get a better job and uh, um, you know I, I often kind of try and point back to them you know there must be something that's a payoff in what you're doing mm -hmm. or you wouldn't still be doing it right you know? because if 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 you hated it as much as you say you hated, um, you would have moved by now. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you if you haven't moved, then I don't know if it's that you like it being the victim, or you like being able to talk about it, or or you're too lazy to move, and it's a payoff not to have to move, but somehow you're getting paid off to deal with this thing you don't like. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you didn't want bad enough, you would change it. Right. And, you know, and a big thing that, that, that is, is there is fear. I mean, you know, fear of the unknown, fear of, of all of those things. That's, you know, obviously why 
a lot of of people stay in abusive relationships they they they're scared of what could happen if they leave it um you know and 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 they don't have those conversations in their head or when they do the conversation in their head is you're horrible you're awful you're not worth it you know they have all of those <coughs> negative conversations and the you know the book is about transitioning those conversations into positive conversations and supportive conversations. Right. Well, and you know, I mean, it's not even that they're necessarily so negative. It, even you know that 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 person who's in a, a, a mildly abusive sort of situation, um, there's the question of, you know, so what if I do change it and and it's not any better? I'll have less. Mm-hmm. Is sort of uh, where they think and where they right. Um, but you know the idea of fear. Um, I discovered something uh, a, a couple of years ago. I, I did a lot of thinking on it, and and it said fear and trust. They can exist in the same space. They right. They never. Um, and so. If you're afraid of something, it's because you don't trust something, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and in the case of uh, you know the person in the abusive situation, that you don't trust yourself to be able to live outside of that situation, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, almost everything comes down to a sense of of trust, and 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 I guess that. That if I were to say anything about the book is that um, uh, she she learns how to trust herself, right, and to trust her own thinking, and and you can do a lot if if you simply trust yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and and she does it by having these conversations with Larry and and with the dog, <laughs> and and it's funny I did want the dog named you know and and she does too, but we you know but but yeah it was. She has those conversations, and I think what people need to realize is sometimes we do have to have those two-sided conversations. And and yes, it's in your own mind, and so you're talking to yourself. But it helped her to have the persona of Larry, as opposed to thinking, "Hey, I'm talking to myself," because it, it you know it, it it does seem weird to talk to yourself. But if you're talking with somebody else then it's okay to have that conversation. Yeah. I remember it used to be a big thing, you know, old enough to remember when it, it was a big thing that if you're talking to yourself, you must be crazy. Right. And, you know, they don't say that anymore. I wonder. No, no. But I'm, I'm curious, um, if you recall when, when Alice um, first meets Larry and the dog, um, she gets a little infuriated that he says, well, she says to him, he must not have known the dog very long because, uh, you know, he, you know, he doesn't have a name. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Larry says, well, I'm sure he does. He just hasn't shared it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so why did you, what, what were your feelings about uh, wishing the dog had a name? I, it's just kind of one of those things to, maybe it was to make him more human more real i don't know it was it was just kind of odd that he was always the dog but of course by the end of the story that's fine that he's the dog and and you know again we won't give things away but we find out more about larry and and his name uh and and it's but it's funny because we do put names to things you know whether it's your car you know <laughs> you, 
you know, you, I had my very first car was called Sherman because it was this gigantic car. And so it was Sherman the tank. Right. And, you know, and we do, we name things to kind of make them more relatable. And, and, but yeah, like I said, by the end of the book, the dog was okay being the dog. See, that's so interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One is because um, I thought the dog was pretty special because he chose not to share his. Right. But the other that I I think would probably surprise you is that um, Alice isn't necessarily her name either. Right. Mm -hmm. Because um, I never really named her. Um, and in the course of the of the book, um, you know, Larry names her Angela, um, mm-hmm. and and people call her Alice, but she never says her name is Alice. Right. And it was really hard for me um, writing the summary for Amazon because you can't really keep talking about it. even if she were a guy, I could probably have gotten away with saying. And the hero does this, and the hero does that, and the hero. Mm-hmm. But to say the heroine does this, and that wouldn't work. And I just, there was no way I could get around it. I had to give her a name. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to allow that her name was Alice. But in my mind, she and the dog shared that, that they they didn't necessarily claim to have a name. Mm-hmm. And, well, and and her name came to be in an important way. I mean, I think that was part of the the story was there was a reason she started calling herself Alice. Right, right. Um, and and the confusion over not having a name is the same as the confusion of uh, not knowing who you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when, when uh, probably till much older than I should have, it would be you don't know me, you don't even know my name. Mm-hmm. No, I was right. My brother, you know, you don't even know my name. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and and we have different names depending on the situation. I mean, you know, my my full name is Deborah, and so when I'm in a very professional setting, sometimes I'm Deborah. I grew up with people calling me Debbie, and you know, for the most part, I shorten it now to Deb. But you can tell who knows me and how long they've known me and, you know, by by the name that they call me. Yeah, I have similar things in my life as well. You know, and, and it's funny because we do, you know, sometimes we might call ourselves something totally different when we're thinking about ourselves as a, you know, because we've put that persona, a name to that persona. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And sometimes I'm the dog. <laughs> Uh huh. Right. You know, and and yeah, it's it, and it's interesting that you know all the conversations or you know most of the conversations in the book take place as as we've been talking about inside Alice's head, and you know and because you're right, we we were brought up in in a lot of ways to think that when we talk to ourselves we're crazy. Um, you know, I I had a, a psychology professor that said it's perfectly okay to talk to yourself. It's even okay to to respond to yourself. But when you go, huh? That's where you might have a problem. <laughs> That's very nice. I like that. Yeah, well, you know, I often have conversations with my friends, mm-hmm. you know, that I haven't seen for years. They just, I, I, at one point when I reconnected with someone from college, I said, you know, I've been talking to you ever since. We just mm-hmm. shared the conversation. 
Um, so, you know, it's not that much different. In fact, right. it's, it's, I suppose, helpful. You, there, there used to be a saying around the, uh, the marketing blogs, you know, what would Seth do? Right. Mm -hmm. and it's sort of the same thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you, in fact, when I was in, in college at one point, I, that's when you're at that point, you want to be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. But you don't know who you are, so you don't know how to be true to yourself. And I finally solved that problem by deciding how to be true to the person I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. That was a whole lot easier. So, I, right, you know, what would the person I want to be say here? Mm -hmm. um, it became much easier that way. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, we do have all those conversations in our head. A lot of times we're having a conversation with someone who maybe has passed away. Uh, I have a, a friend who uh, lost her father not long ago, and she was kind of saying, you know, now I'll never be able to talk to him again. And I said, well, yes, you will. You know, just be, you know, and, and I bet you he'll even answer back, uh, you know, and, and, or, you know, when, when my father-in-law passed away, my mother-in-law had, had decided to have a headstone that had a bench and people were kind of concerned that, you know, she would spend all of her time out there talking to him. And, and I said, well, she's going to anyway, so why not at least make her have a, a seat so she's comfortable? Exactly. Yes. You know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, and like I said, maybe if you say, huh, then you might have a problem, but it, it's okay to have those conversations. And I think that really is the point of the book is it's okay to have the, those conversations with yourself and, and really work through problems or just have a good time. I mean, you know, some of the situations in the book, she was just enjoying herself, um, you know, and, and, and it, it's okay to do that. Oh, exactly. And, you know, to, to turn it the other way, which is one of my favorite things to do, is when, when I start to wonder if something's a problem, to look at it from the other point of view. Mm -hmm. you know, if you're not doing that, if you're not having those kind of conversations in your head, then you're probably not thinking enough about what you do. You know? Right. You, you need to be thinking about things and you need to be questioning yourself about why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. As a, as opposed to worrying about what other people would think, you know, to worry about what you think. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and if it helps that you're having that conversation with a different person in your head, that's okay as long as you're having that conversation. Well, yeah, as long as you realize that no matter who you're having that conversation with, it's you in your head, you know. Uh, that's the, you know, the, the other bit is that... Um, you know, we often try, like sometimes in a situation like this, we, we, we save this little piece of our brain and try to think of what you're thinking, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I can't think of what you're thinking because I'm right. you. Mm -hmm. I can think what I would be thinking if I were behind your eyeballs. That's mm -hmm. as close as I'm going to get. But no matter how I do it, I'm going to be thinking about what I would be thinking, not what you're thinking. So. Mm -hmm. We need to quit it. <laughs> right, right. And and we do. We fall into those traps. You know, it's like you said at the very start of the program, you know, that the, she was worried about, you know, the boss was mad at her because, 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 you know, and, and none of it was probably true. There was maybe a slight possibility that the boss was mad, but, you know, she needed to recognize, hello, honey, the world does not revolve around you. 
and, you know, stop putting his thoughts into your brain. Exactly. Exactly. Stop crediting him for what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's interesting because we do that all the time, you know, and, and, and we've, you know, for good and bad, we do that all the time where we're thinking, you know, well, she must've been, you know, she acted this way to me because, and, you know, in many cases it really is, it had absolutely nothing to do with you. Yeah. More often than not. Right. And that's hard because hello, we all want to be the center of the universe. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and you mean we're not? I know. I, like I said, I was brought up. I'm an only child, and 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 it's funny because my husband is one of nine, and you know we we do think about things very differently. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it's it it is it's very interesting. Um, you know, and 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 I tell people I don't share because. I, I didn't, I didn't have to when I was little and I actually have to stop sometimes and think, wait a minute, wait a minute. You need to share. <laughs> well, you know, that's a good point. And that, that's actually one of the big points of the book is, um, so that's a story you tell yourself. You don't share because you didn't have to when you were little. And, and so now you get to choose whether you still want that story to rule your life. Or right. If you want, it, it doesn't mean you're making it not true. Mm-hmm. Just saying that's going to be part of my history now. Mm-hmm. Right. This year because I didn't have to when I was little, but I do now. Right. You know? you know, it's it's exactly what your book says. We decide the stories that decide our lives. Exactly. Yes. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yay! And you did say it that way. And so that leads us into a perfect segue because we have... Uh, Good heavens, just a couple of minutes left. So, Liz, tell people how they find you and connect with you and, and how they buy your book. Well, you know, I, if the, the fastest way is any morning between uh, 5.30 a.m. And, and 8.30 a.m. anywhere in the U.S. Um, you'll find me on Twitter um, posting pictures of the sunrise in Chicago. Perfect. And I'm Liz Strauss on Twitter just like I am in real life. Mm-hmm. I don't know how my parents had the forethought. The name, <laughs> the name of my book is Anything You Put Your Mind To, um, and it's available on Amazon, Create Space, and several other places. So um, if, if you look on my Twitter account, you'll see the name of it right under my name. And I'm also on Facebook um, and Tumblr and Google Plus, and I have a blog, successful-blog.com, and uh, and I'm working on things with my business partner Jane Boyd with Genius Shared, and and we're producing new products and coursework, and and hoping soon to be producing a retreat. Great. Well, when that happens, we will definitely have to have you on again because we didn't even, you know, aside from just barely mentioning, we did not discuss genius, genius shared at all. And I would love to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you'll have to meet uh, Jane as well. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Liz, we are done with our time together. And, and, you know, the, the reason why I know that this was a great conversation is I looked at the clock and went, Oh, we're done with the time. You know, we, we didn't have nearly enough time to, to really get to, to talk. Oh, thank you for having me. I mean, it was a pleasure to talk with you. Well, I love it. And we will definitely have you on again. And to everyone out there, until next time, have a great day. 
Thanks for listening to Deb Career, your social media friend. Tune in next time to listen to more great tips, techniques, and trends for using social media. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.